Art Next Door Prepared by Tuche Elal Art Next Door features the independent art scene in Neukölln and Berlin. Free scenes Community-based art Socially engaged artistic practice Artist-led project spaces Collectives Emerging and young artists. News and interviews will be broadcast in Art Next Door on Keith FM. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Art Next Door. Um, today's guests are Curatorial Collective for Public Art. Uh, Berlin-based Curatorial Collective members are Julia Kavka, Ia Sharel, Jose Delano, and Liana Moon. Um, thank you all guys uh, for accepting my invitation for Art Next Door. Um, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners before we start talking about Curatorial Collective for Public Art? Yeah, Tucci, thank you so much for the invitation. We're very happy to be here. Uh, my name is Liana Moll. I'm a curator and cultural manager originally from the Netherlands, but I've been based in Berlin for about six years. Um, and I have a background in cultural studies. Hi, I'm Yael Sherin, and I'm a curator, and I've been based in Berlin for nine years, I think, something like that. And uh, my background is uh, mixed in between fine art and uh, theater. Yeah, but I've been a curator for a while now. <laughs> Hi, I am Julia Kafka. I am a German Polish uh, Berlin citizen. <laughs> And uh, my background is uh, also theater and set design and production. Hello, my name is Jose Delano. I come from Chile. I've been in Berlin around seven years. Um, my background comes from art and design. And I've been yeah, working on curatorial practices on the side, but my usual job in the, in the group is more design and art practices. Um, how did you start the collective, this curatorial collective for public art? I think that we we didn't really. So so actually, the way that like officially we met is that we in 2019 um, I had an exhibition and invited Liana to work with me, and then slowly we invited so Julia and Jose, and uh, we worked on this exhibition which was called Tracks in a Box, and uh, it was connected to a different uh, to kind of background project which is called B Tour. Um, that I started um, like a while ago and actually we just had so much fun working together in 2019 that we were kind of like okay we really want to continue working together and we just dived directly into um, next projects in a way even without any definition of a collective so we didn't really have a name at the beginning at all and at some point uh, after uh, working for a while together we were somehow like kind of pushed by simply people asking us like we needed to present ourselves more often and then we somehow needed to come up with a name of who are we and uh, instead of saying well I'm Yael, this is Liana, this is Jose, this is Julia. Uh, we kind of just tried to come up and we came up with the name Curatorial Collective for Public Art. And this has also something to do with the way that we work as a collective within the independent art scene. 
um, because the work that we do is so structured around projects and um, for each project that we do or that we want to implement, um, we have to get a grant. So we send out a lot of funding applications each year for um, in order to fundraise for projects that we want to do or want to continue doing. Um, and we kind of a question came up when we were fundraising, whether it would be just one of our names uh, as an applicant on the grant application, or if we want all of our names on the grant application, and then how do we want to present ourselves? Um, and we also realized that by um, presenting ourselves as a collective, we were able to also bring in the very different backgrounds that we all have and the expertise and the experience that we all have, which is a huge strength, I think, for us as a team. Uh, and we wanted to be able to present that also towards um, funding bodies in order to just increase our chances of being funded for the work that we do. Um, so it was also in that sense a bit of a strategic decision that is, I think, very integral to the, our working approach and I think which is very recognizable for many actors within the independent art scene, right? Of like having to fundraise for each project we want to do. I think also the name came as, as an important communication part of it that we wanted to come out as a public space group. And having that in our name uh, kind of gave us also, a, let's say a name somehow, that we were recognized as this group working on public space. And we really wanted to kind of have that um, mark on our, on our side, because somehow it's like our, own thing and we come with different formats but always in common that we are outside and not inside. I think that it's actually an interesting uh, kind of thing to think about like how the structure of funding in Berlin affects the way that people work together. That's I think that uh, because I'm just following up from what Liane also said uh, before about this thing that we really did think that strategically it would be much more much, much stronger, but also in a way we, because we could nonetheless present a project, you know, as maybe more conventional, like there is a artistic director, there is a designer, there is a pro production manager, whatever. And we actually didn't feel that represents the way that we work also with each other. So it is strategic, but it also really is something to do with the way that we work together. We uh, work very collaboratively from very early um, moments in, in a project. We exchange ideas. Everybody's involved in um, also curatorial questions. Everybody's involved in design questions and productions. Of course, at some point, somebody is kind of the leader of that uh, department. But uh, we really appreciate and value that exchange between us um, in that sense. So follow up with that uh, structure, I actually would like to ask something related to that. So basically, I mean, for the fun for the sake of funding, of course, you have to eventually structure the positions of yourself. Uh, and then you mentioned that, okay, this is not really structured in the way. But um, when you have a larger project, eventually you have to expand uh, for the for executing things and then you have to just shrink down again so do you think that actually the collective can grow as well or is it okay for you to have the four people as the core team and then just um, move on in each project as it needs to just expand uh, temporarily 
how it is moving for you? I think that's a very good question. <laughs> I'm not sure that we have, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually not, I'm going to answer from my perspective, but I'm not sure that I hereby answer for everybody because I don't think we've actually touched on this topic ourselves so much. Um, but what I can say is that we've noticed this year um, we were doing several projects kind of uh, parallel to each other in different contexts and also bigger projects for which we needed a bigger team in order to have all of the parts of the project run and be taken care of. And um, I do think that out of this structure, we build up collaborations of which we feel that they could be continued so that there were people as part of the team that we would like to work together with again because it was a collaboration that worked really well because they did amazing work within the project and uh, also people that we have already continued working with um, on different projects like parallel to each other or on different um, tasks, tasks or responsibilities within the same project. Um, I think a lot of that also just has to do with like the chemistry that you have with a person and um, kind of having a, a working approach that aligns. But I do feel it's kind of it's actually quite early to answer the question whether those people could become like an integral part of the collective or whether they would more be rather be like um, sort of comets that uh, that revolve around the collective and maybe come in for certain projects. Um, whenever that is needed or feels helpful or productive. Yeah, I think additionally, I would uh, say that in the last project we did, the Future Perfect Land, for instance, we were working like really close also with the other people, which somehow filled the departments with where we are not pros in, where we are not good enough uh, or like didn't uh, dive deep enough into getting the knowledge and uh, handling everything ourselves. And uh, in these collaborations, I think the family grew and uh, and we became something like a bigger collective for the for this project itself. And I think that's something that is that comes natural with each project that um, just the collaborations are close and uh, might be continued. It's um, um, having both yeah, Julia and Liane have said that it feels very uh, fine to work with these people and kind of make the, uh, the family bigger when the project demands it. But at the same time, on, on a daily day, on a longer term thing, um, maybe it's easier to kind of just force still, you know, a group. So you have to kind of hear each other out and kind of, um, of course, we have different opinions, but we, we are agreeing on the bigger ideas, which is the most important part. And I think probably thinking in a long term, it's maybe easier and healthier just to kind of work with our own energy, energies being for, but have these collaborators as close as possible and keep them, you know, motivated with the project, with, with ideas and give them space when they're invited to come to kind of put out their creativity. You know, we also take care of that, that kind of, um, although the core ideas come from us, they have certain freedom to kind of bring their own things when they're invited. And I think that's why most of them feel quite happy to be part of this project and kind of uh, feel rewarded, you know, that they are contributing really to this and not just doing their specific job to get paid and that's it, kind of. And that's what we're looking for. And those are the collaborators that really stay. So I think kind of in a way naturally has developed in this way. And in my opinion has been a, a good way of working. And let's talk about the projects then so far you have uh, executed. 
Well, maybe I can talk about the following one that Yael introduced, which was the one that got us all together, which was this project that started with B tours, and it was pretty much tours um, in Berlin with a central point, but going out to the streets to discover the streets in a different way. Then came this project called This is an Intervention. This is the one that we actually, for the first time, called ourselves, had a name as a collective. And this came as a pure frustration of um, being on Corona and kind of following months after lockdown, three, four, five months. And then we were kind of seeing that pretty much nothing was happening. We we're all locked at home. All our artistic practices were frozen. There was no discussion of anything. It was just total paralysis. And then main institutions were just trying to carry on with their program, you know, they had from before. So not really responding to what we were living at. And there was kind of came a frustration onto that and saying, look, we need to kind of come up with something and say something about what's happening and lockdown and being uh, not able to kind of do our job. So we came up then meeting and making an open call. We knew through being four of us and knowing a lot of artists, we knew that most of the artists had no work. So that was kind of, we were felt encouraged that they would be responding to it. And it was pretty much that. I mean, we, we worked in very short time, no budget, no nothing, but we came with a strong concept um, of like literally they were trying to kind of um, force the, like pretend nothing was going on. So we were kind of made a public call to make a pause and discuss of what was going on. So this intervention has as an icon and a, as a sign on the public space, big sign pauses. And in every way that you found these pauses, you would find a different artist making a pause, making a statement and coming up with some kind of reflection of what was going on, of what could be a different future. And we made it as a kind of more um, easier to navigate. We put everyone together in a certain specific area of Kreuzberg and came up with a map and an, and an info point to kind of gather up people and make tours around these points. And also each point having this post sign had a QR sign kind of uh, engaging people to scan this QR code to see what the hell this um, sign was about and this artwork next to it because it had no explanation. And then it was a quite successful way of working because we had no budget, no time, but it was a, just a one day event. And we had like over 5,000 visitors. We had over 4,000 people scanning the QR code so we could actually measure the amount of visitors we had. And it felt as a kind of fresh, strong, discussion point happening when nothing was really happening and it was just at the beginning that people were coming out of their houses it was june i think what day was it or end of beginning of july so that was kind of a refreshing thing for us as a start as a second project and then we kind of also gathered more confidence that, okay this is really working kind of let's come up with more ideas and the most uh, so the most recent project that we did um, as a collective with the four of us um, was Future Perfect Land. We really just came out of the end of it. It's close at the end of September, so it's very fresh. Um, and Future Perfect Land, although very site specific, was not technically a public art project, but somewhere in between, because it took place on a designated compound um, in Reinickendorf on the area of Monopol, which is an old um, distillery, which has now been turned into a cultural center for um, artists and cultural workers. Um, and Future Perfect Land was a fun fair for speculative realities. In, in this format, we wanted to 
really dive into the consequences of the climate crisis, but not from like a scientific or a factual or dystopian perspective, but much rather to explore different kinds of scenarios of what could be, what might have happened um, with maybe more hope or optimism, but also anger and frustration. And the idea for Future Perfect Land actually came out of a small research project that we did last year, um, which kind of came at a very good time um, with lockdown and everything that we had the time to sit um, and talk to people in an online research format called Future Perfect, where we invited artists and experts to reflect on different questions, questions of the climate crisis, of climate grief and climate psychology. Uh, and how these could be reflected in uh, public art. And then most of the artists that were part of this research project then implemented their ideas as artworks, as speculative scenarios for Future Perfect Land. Um, so there were seven scenarios or realities that could be explored on the funfair grounds. And apart from that, we implemented and invited also people to implement like fun fair attractions that were kind of um, a balance between the speculative realities in order for people to be able to rest or play or nourish themselves um, in between visiting these very intense emotional worlds. So one of the things that as CCPA we did, and this was very much Jose's brainchild, um, on the compound of, of Future Perfect Land of Monopole, there's a huge, huge um, water tank. And Jose, upon first seeing this, went like, I want a fountain in here. And I want people to climb up in order to see the fountain. But when they climb up, the fountain goes off. And uh, naturally, we were all <laughs> a little bit surprised and skeptical about this idea because it seemed so ambitious. Um, but he managed to pull it off. And so this was one of the attractions as part of Future Perfect Land um, that really activated also the space. So this still very much came from this like approach of working very site specifically, of working with what is there and activating the space around us and responding to it. Um, so I feel like this is also a very beautiful, like small example of the way that we work, even if not directly out in the streets, then it's still very much bringing the public art strategies into the mix. And still it was offering like the, it was accessible for everyone, like we are not taking any entrance fee or anything. So it's open for public always. Yeah, I remember Yael told me that actually the project uh, planned for another location. So it is also interesting how you adapt in a short term and then just still responded the sites, uh, infrastructures, and then just implemented new ideas. So this is also interesting and challenging, uh, but at the same time, it should be rewarding at the end. <laughs> How did it evolve for the future plans now? What are your future plans or current plans? Um, I think that, uh, that we organized during the... I think since we are all in, I think in this kind of um, phase in our professional development, I think that we already are very much aware of the need to think about the future while you're in the present. 
so actually during uh, Future Perfect Land, we already invited quite a lot of partners and uh, institution heads and uh, collaborators and so on to have those conversations about uh, the future of uh, Future Perfect Land. And Future Perfect Land is thought uh, or was thought from its very origin as a traveling uh, event. And therefore, uh, we are going to start having conversations about uh, where this uh, event can go in the next years. Um, probably not in 2022, but uh, probably more in 2023. Um, and um, meanwhile, we are, I think, working on in different constellations. So maybe it's also important to say that as a collective, we also work um, like individually, of course, on separate projects, but we also work uh, within the collective in different constellations. So some of us work on one project and another. So some of us will be working on um, a project in Krakow, which is the second edition of uh, the public art program we're curating for the Jewish Cultural Festival uh, in June. And uh, this is a follow-up collaboration, I think. And um, we will also have um, some kind of a project in a town next to Prague, which is called Kutnahora. This is also still in development, but that will be like an accompanying project to a theater festival that is taking place in that city uh, in September next year. And um, there will also be like a small edition of uh, a project in Kaunas in also at the beginning of the year more in May. But I think, yeah, we all have different kind of schedules, I think, as well. But having those individual schedules, is it also a good thing or bad thing? I don't know. It's just a if you want to do something collectively, so this is also disrupts this like a thing, no. But at the same time, as freelancers, we don't have much luxury to say no to into individual projects when we can cover our expenses. So those kind of uh, precarious situations should be uh, also defining uh, the nature of the collective and then just planning how it works for you. Um, it's important for me to sometimes touch upon this precarity in the free scene uh, that we choose to be freelancers. We accept that precarious situation. But at the same time, um, I also like to be in more collaboration with a fellow curator. This is so um, enhancing the conversation, enhancing the power of the ideas that I cannot do alone. <laughs> So just tell me about those kind of uh, precarity, but all at the same time, just the uh, power of collectivity. I think this is such a good topic. <laughs> I think you like with nail on the head. I never know the proper expression, but uh, but yeah, like I think this is so much defining our work now and our field of work. And I think also this is for, for us as a collective, something that kind of like shifts based on what are the opportunities that we receive collectively as well as individually and how to juggle all of those different schedules. And it's definitely a struggle sometimes. I would definitely say so. Um, but I, I think what kind of um, defines it is that we do feel a commitment towards each other of finding ways of combining our individual work and our collective work. Um, I think what makes it all 
a little easier is kind of also just knowing that we're in this together uh, and all knowing that we have this experience of precarity, which is very defining as, as freelancers in the cultural field. And at the same time, yeah, like embracing this, this, this freedom or this um, flexibility and independence that comes with that work as well. But also I feel like as individual members of the collective, we really complement each other. Like, I think we are really, this is going to sound really cheesy, but we can achieve more as a collective than we would be able to achieve individually. <laughs> um, so I think, to, and, and then also be to be able to, yeah, just support each other and, and to be able to, to carry that precarity together, right? Um, for me, it's a lot about that. And it's a lot about, um, yeah, just be able to be able to support each other in that sense. But you put it well in, in a way, Tuche, with your question in like, you are in a position um, that sometimes it's hard to say no to things. Um, for example, uh, I'm a father of two kids, I've got a family, so somehow, yeah, the, the bag becomes also a bit bigger. So you have to take something, you can't say no to certain things if, they are, if they, there is a decent payment of certain project and it's part of what you actually do. And you have to kind of compromise, but as well as Liane kind of well put it, um, I think we are all, all very aware of that reality, but at the same time, very aware of the potential this group has. And that has a lot to do with what Liane said, that, that we know that together we can achieve bigger things. And then we are all in a way ambitious and, and a good ambitious in a way, you know, that we want to achieve bigger things. We have bigger questions, we have bigger challenges and and I'm convinced that to achieve those um, bigger standards, the only way to do that is collectively. I'm, I'm kind of convinced of that. And, and, uh, and you kind of get constant proofs of that when you think the opposite. So um, this in the individualistic approach that the arts somehow has encouraged and pushed, we are challenging that and we're getting results from being a, a real collective. And I'm proud of that. And we just have to have the day-to-day -day complicated balance of you know, accepting other things, having a payment and fight for kind of make the collective work. So day to day thing. Is there anything that you would like to add before we close up this session? Did I miss anything? Maybe anything that you would like to add? I was thinking maybe just um, because we hardly or we didn't really talk about the artists that we work with. Uh, at all or how we work with artists, but I just wanted to add that as another layer of uh, our sort of strategy is I think the w the way we work with artists is actually quite similar to the way that we work at, between ourselves as a collective and therefore your question about whether the collective can expand or does expand or will expand um, is, um, is, is really kind of is connected to that. Because, for example, for Future Perfect Land, we really looked, we had like a brief, you know, like it was kind of, we knew what we were looking for. And then we found collaborators, in this case, artists that uh, can, let's say, fill in those gaps. Exactly like we fill gaps for each other, right? Like, I don't know, Liana taking on more responsibilities that have to do with text work or uh, Yulia taking on more responsibilities that have to do with communication and social media. And so we kind of like take, and also for different projects, we might take different roles as well. So, so we switch roles as well. Um, 
but uh, I just wanted to add that the way that we work with the artists, the artists are also our collaborators in that sense. And we have a very long uh, exchange. Most of the works that we uh, produce are new commissions, actually. Maybe they are based on some kind of a practice or existing idea. But uh, since they're site-specific, they are very much like a response to the framework that we come up with then um, we really need a very uh, deep communication and exchange with the artists. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, um, maybe as any other closing words that anyone would like to add? I would like to say that um, I think if we had to kind of say something that um, like a common thread of the projects that we do and work as a collective is has to do with formats. I think that kind of what's a strong thing that we come up with is, okay, we work in public space, but we try and challenge public space by coming up with specific new and different formats. I think all of the projects that we've done actually are different from each other as well. So we think that somehow coming up with a new format allows new rules to be written. And once you have new rules to written, then you have more freedom to address in different ways, certain topics. And then that's a kind of a thing that we've had as a group that kind of, instead of just bringing out a topic and saying we're just working on public space with a specific topic is what's the format to work with that topic. Mm -hmm. And that's a very specific thing of us. And, um, and I think what kind of, uh, you know, makes it a bit different from maybe from other collective or other art projects is that way of thinking. And that becomes attractive, new and fresh and challenging. No, thank you all for your time and then just uh, giving a background story how you get together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, DJ, for the invitation. Yeah. It was really nice to be here. My pleasure. Art Next Door, prepared by Tuche Eran. Art Next Door is a monthly radio show on Kit FM and a podcast series at Anchor FM. If you like my podcast series, you can support and buy me a coffee. Buymeacoffee.com slash Tuche. T-U-C-E. See you in the next episode. Bye.